Hi everybody, this is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Titan Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. I hope things are treating you well out there. It's a beautiful morning here in Portland, Oregon. There's mist everywhere. It's what I like to call werewolf weather, which I always enjoy. I was thinking the other day about Macho Man Randy Savage. I know, it's going to be a huge shock to anybody who knows me that that even pops into my head. But I was thinking about him and I was also thinking about the Kool-Aid Man and how they share the catchphrase, oh yeah. I was thinking about what a weird catchphrase that is. It made me think that somewhere out there, there's maybe somebody who has never seen pro wrestling, has never heard pro wrestling interviews, but is only familiar with the Macho Man Randy Savage by reading transcripts of his interviews. And to him or her, they must think of Macho Man Randy Savage as that forgetful narcissist who just remembered how great he thinks he is. Like, if you read it out of context, it'd be like, oh yeah, I am the greatest. I am Macho Man Randy Savage. Like, he just remembered that. Anyway, that's how my brain goes. How's your brain going? Well, I hope. Ah, tell you what, we've got a lot of show to get to today. So, without any further ado, let's... Ado this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Logan Holmes. Thanks, Logan. My secret agent sibling is a black ops sis, but she always saves time for a synopsis. Thanks, Logan. Defenders number seven, August 1973. The War Between the Waves. Written by Steve Englehart and Len Wein. Drotted by Sal Buscema with inks by Frank Bole. It's a beautiful spring day, and the Hulk is stomping his way over to Doctor Strange's sanctum, presumably because he misses being insulted and belittled. Good news, Hulk! Clint Barton, aka Hawkeye, just showed up to take care of that problem for you. The purple-clad archer starts hectoring the Green Goliath, alternately insulting him and demanding that he say where he's going and why. The Hulk appears to disapprove of Hawkeye's decision to implement a personal stop-and-frisk policy, and voices his dissent by casually backhanding the fuck out of the belligerent bowman and tossing him in a garbage can. Hooray! Clint isn't so fond of the comeuppance he's just received and demonstrates that by shooting some arrows at the Hulk. Um, look, Clint... I know that archery may literally be the only weapon in your quiver right now, but that big green fellow regularly shrugs off tanks and missiles. At one point, I think it was in Secret Wars, he lifted a 150 billion ton mountain. Are you sure pointy sticks are the right tool for this job? Well, if the job is pissing Hulk off, then apparently so, because the jade giant turns and is about to pulverize Hawkeye. Finally realizing that he may have overstepped his abilities, the former Avenger tries to scram, but runs smack into Valkyrie, who has been watching the entire encounter. Val isn't too keen on Hawkeye's street harassment of her green buddy, and she starts smacking Hawkeye around as well. Hooray! Hulk finds this hilarious, which is delightful. Namor shows up and gets in on the act, and he starts smacking Hawkeye around as well. Hooray! After tossing him in the garbage again, Namor asks Hawkeye what brings him to New York and why he isn't with the Avengers anymore. The answer is fairly involved, but can be more or less summarized as follows. Hawkeye is a petulant, spoiled asshole who quit his job because he feels entitled to affection from women he finds attractive, and sulks like a baby when his advances are spurned. He pulled that shit first with Scarlet Witch, then with Black Widow. The entitled archer briefly took a side job, but his employer turned out to be a supervillain, so that didn't work out. Then he got bored and started following the Hulk around and catcalling him. Really, it's kind of a compliment. The Hulk should be flattered by the attention. Fucking archers. 
After hearing his tale of arrogance and entitlement, the defenders figure there's only one place where Hawkeye really needs to go. Doctor Strange's house. Makes sense. The unlikely quartet of heroes make their way to the Sanctum Sanctorum, but when they arrive, Wong informs them that Steve is off fighting some elder gods for the very fate of the cosmos or some shit. But, you know, they should help themselves to snacks or whatever. Suddenly, there's a knock at the door, which is mysterious in and of itself, seeing as just about everyone they know just bursts through walls. It turns out that their visitor is an Atlantean buddy of Namor's who is there to warn his prince that an old enemy, Atuma, is fixing to attack Atlantic City. Uh, Tuma's a big, strong barbarian who is bent on destroying Atlantis. And, apparently, any other city that starts with an Atlan. And Namor freaking hates him. So, the defenders head off to New Jersey to get their thwart on. Seeing as Steve is off Cthulhu hunting, the gang finds themselves short one entitled prick. So, it's a good thing Hawkeye is there to don the metaphoric fedora and join the non-team in their adventure. When our heroes arrive in New Jersey, they find Atuma and his asshole muscle men buddies leading an army of giant crabs and squid and attacking beachgoers. Okay, I know they're the bad guys, but... Hooray! Only, since when can Atuma command sea creatures? That's the sort of power that's normally only held by Aqualad. And, to a lesser extent, Aquaman. Hmm... Anyway, the defenders start smashing the shit out of the giant crabs and punching and arrowing Atuma's muscle boys real good. Hooray! Things are going pretty well for the good guys until all of a sudden, out of nowhere, two dolphins show up and use their snouts to simultaneously karate chop Namor's princely nipples, knocking him the fuck out. Oh shit. I mean, I guess technically they hit him where his nipples would have been if he had been drawn with any of this issue, but either way, the avenging son of Atlantis is knocked out for a minute and Atuma takes full advantage of the situation by clamping some special strength-draining shackles on Namor and taking him hostage. Oh shit. Dragging the captive amphibious hero in front of his non-teammates, Atuma demands that they surrender. Reluctantly, they agree. Atuma's muscly minions grab a marine biologist and his wife, whom they had been intending to kidnap anyway, and load the now-captive defenders onto their submarine. Well, most of the defenders anyway. Hulk decides that he has been on submarines before and didn't much care for it, so he jumps away and leaves. Huh, guess he didn't really get the concept of surrendering himself. Good for him. The defenders who do understand the concept of being taken captive are taken by submarine to a super shitty city that Atuma designed. Also, even though Atuma and all his barbarian buddies breathe water, the craptacular city that Atuma built is filled with air for some reason. Namor and Val and Hawkeye are dragged before Atuma's throne and introduced to the amphibious asshole's new partner. The Red Ghost. Aw yeah, I fucking love the Red Ghost. Oh, who's the Red Ghost? Ahem. Only a Russian scientist-slash-astronaut-slash-ape trainer named Ivan Kragov who took his three best ape pals to the moon with him. They all got superpowers and fought the Fantastic Four. Then the apes decided that he was an asshole and turned on him. So he got some different apes, some different superpowers, including conveniently the power to mind-control apes, fought Iron Man, but then his new ape buddies also turned on him and beat him up. See why I love the Red Ghost? Anyway, now the scientist-slash-astronaut-slash-ape trainer has teamed up with Atuma and has another new superpower. He can now mind-control sea creatures as well as, or possibly instead of, apes. Aha! So that's why those dolphins nipple-punched Namor. The evil duo plans to use Ivan's new powers to overpower all of Atlantis with a rain of hypnotized porpoises. That's why they kidnapped the marine biologist, to help them mind-control the dolphins. Only, they already had the power to mind-control dolphins. In fact, they used that power to help kidnap the marine biologist. Maybe time travel is involved? That must be it. Probably that's another new power the Red Ghost has. 
time travel. Ivan and Atuma drag Namor off to do some science on him and throw Val and Hawkeye into a dungeon. One of Atuma's meat-headed minions tries to sexually harass Val, so she punches him the fuck out, steals his keys, and frees herself and Hawkeye. Hooray! Clint takes two minutes to carve himself a new bow and arrows out of bed slats and a mattress, which is both impressive and really stupid, because there's no way that thing will shoot straight. But it seems to make him feel better to have a bow with him, so fair enough. The duo of defenders make their way down the hallway intending to free their Atlantean ally. The good news is, they manage to find him. The bad news is, he doesn't quite seem himself. For one thing, his hair is slightly messed up, which is really disconcerting. Oh, and also he has a crazed look in his eye, is mind controlled by the Red Ghost, and is intent on killing Val and Hawkeye. But mostly, it's just really weird to see his hair messed up. I mean, it's normally so put together. To be continued. And joining us once again, fresh from having rescued his business empire from evil interlopers, is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how's it going? Pretty good. Much better now. Glad to hear it. Thank you. You were able to foil these scoundrels? Indeed. I forget, which scoundrels were these? These were aliens. Oh, man. I thought they might have been. Mm-hmm. Were they using a lot of extra apostrophes? Of course. Man. That's all they know. It's a dead giveaway. Mm-hmm. Every time. Yep. So... What'd you think of this issue? <laughs> it made me laugh. It made me laugh too. This this was just wacky ass fun. And we will get into that in a minute. But before we do, we got some things to take care of. First of all, I keep forgetting to plug this on the show. But friend of the show, Chris Leatherman, has made some YouTube videos of us reading the Hostess Fruit Pie ads. And Twinkie ads. And Twinkie ads that are at the end of some of the 70s and 80s comic books, and he has written original music to go with them and has video of the ads themselves, and they're really fun. You can check those out on YouTube. They're they're great. The other thing that I wanted to plug is friend of the show Jesse Cooper has a podcast called Alphabet Flight, a Marvel encyclopedic adventure in which he goes through the official handbook for the Marvel Universe and talks about a different character of it. These come out three times a week, which is a crazy schedule. And they're great, and they're really fun, and I think you guys would enjoy it. And if you're looking for an entry point, well, it just so happens the ones that come out this week, I am a guest on. By the time this drops, one will have come out yesterday. Uh, There's one coming out, I believe it's Wednesday and Saturday is the schedule, or Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. Jesse told me, and I don't remember. Now I feel bad, but it was a lot of fun recording these and I'm looking forward to hearing them. And so, yeah, you should check those out if you're so inclined. It is Alphabet Flight, a Marvel encyclopedic adventure. One more tiny bit of housekeeping to get out of the way before we dive into the Defenders number seven. We had a contest. So I've got an actual hat filled with actual names of actual listeners that actually sent donations to the ACLU or the Southern Poverty Law Center and entered to win a book that I put together of all of the synopses from Teen Titan Wasteland. And I think there's over 60 color photos in there as well, or not photos. Pictures, though. Yeah. Yeah. Close enough. Photographs of pictures, maybe? Mm. I don't know. Photorealistic rendering of comic book covers. Yes. They're very good, but (laughs) the point is, it is time to pick a winner. Corey, check out this Foley work. This is the sound of the names fluttering about in the hat. Foley with the best of them, friend. Thank you. Thank you. Corey, would you like to pick out a name? Okay, I am covering my eyes. 
And reaching into the hat. Oh, that's a nice hat. It's got silk on the inside. Oh, thank you. It, it is a nice hat. I like it. It's, it's a, a derby, I believe, some would call it. Or, if you're of the Brooklyn persuasion in the 40s in a comic book, a doiby. Ah, okay, I've got a name. All right. And the name that was in the doiby is... Devin Ryan Tuhey. Devin, you have won the prize. I will send you an email and find out how to ship it to you. And congratulations. And congratulations to everybody who entered. Really, thank you so much. It was very gratifying, the response that I got. Thank you. This It was, it was a lot of fun. Speaking of lots of fun, mm. Defenders number seven. Wow. Initial thoughts. War below the waves. Indeed. Initial thoughts. So many... Yeah, there's Thanks. there's so much to talk about. So let's just start at the beginning. First thing we encounter is we see Hawkeye. Hawkeye's such a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> he's I don't I got I don't know much about the guy, but this is not he's not acquitting himself very well. No, if this is your introduction to Hawkeye, wow. It, it's not just him being an asshole. It's him harassing the Hulk, which is stupid in addition to being an asshole. He's going to get hurt. And then it is followed by just him reading a litany of what he's been up to the last couple of months. And it's all awful. Just being a dick. Just, yeah. He could have summed it up. Like, he's like, oh, you're wondering how I got into this situation? I've been a real dick. That's how it could be summed up. Yep. But if you want a little bit more detail, what he's been up to for the last month is he had an unrequited crush on his co-worker, the Scarlet Witch. And so he got all huffy because she didn't like him, so he quit the team. Then he took a temp job working for a supervillain. Then he was, quote, strung out. I don't think that means what he thinks it means. I don't think so either. I hope. Although, Archer's being strung out in the early 70s. Oh, maybe There is a precedent could set. Could have been hanging out with Speedy. I think he might have been. And he decided to go and just assume that he could just go hook back up with his ex-girlfriend, the Black Widow, who was at this time dating Daredevil. Daredevil didn't like that. No, and frankly, neither did the Black Widow. Nope. So they beat him up. Yep. Uh, then the Avengers came and asked them to join the Avengers, and they asked him, hey, will you please come back and join the team? And he's like, no, you didn't ask hard enough. You don't really want me to join the team. And he sulks away like a fucking ninny. Yep. And... Then decides, I'm going to go make a big name for myself. There's an electric monster. I'm going to go foil that electric monster. Goes there. Hulk already foiled that guy. He hears Hulk mumble something about, like, I'm going to go see Doctor Strange. Mm -hmm. To be fair, that is a weird thing for the Hulk to say. Mm -hmm. The Hulk hates Doctor Strange. They do hang out a bunch. He might not have been saying nice things. He's, yeah. Maybe he's like, stupid Doctor Strange and his electric monsters. But I don't have a house, so I'm going to go stay there for a maybe while. he's got beans. Oh, he's probably got some beans. Oh, those sweet, sweet baked beans. Magical beans. A mm, little bit of mustard powder in there. <laughs> some Tabasco. Ketchup. Know. No, you're mm. just you're reading too much in. Um, <laughs> to the Hulk's bean, bean recipe. Yeah, yeah I'm pretty sure the it's Hulk's like bean recipe is open can. Open can. <laughs> Eat beans. Eat beans. <laughs> <laughs> Repeat as necessary. Yeah. But so Hawkeye hears that the Hulk is going to be hanging out with Doctor Strange. And then he's just like, that's an unlikely friendship. I'm going to investigate it for some reason and pester the Hulk and shoot him with bows and arrows until he tells me what's going on, which is none of my goddamn business. And 
and is none of my goddamn business. And they never explain how, unless I missed it, how that's going to enable Hawkeye to make a name for himself as a lone no, hero. He says that it will because he'll get to the bottom of that mystery. The mystery of the Hulk. The, the mystery of Doctor. the Hulk being friends with Doctor Strange. Well, I think we just solved that one. Yeah, Wrapped beans. it up in a bow. <laughs> Done. There you go. Hawkeye. Hey, guess what? Huh. We are on our way to making names for ourselves as solo adventurers. <laughs> A duo of solo adventurers. Yup. A pair of renegade maverick solo lone wolves. Yeah. Yup. <laughs> A pack of two. Yeah. Lone wolves. A pack of two lone wolves. Well done. Thanks. Yeah. In summation, Hawkeye is a fucking moron, and it's so nice to watch him get thrown in the trash. Yeah. A couple times. Yeah, by different people. Yeah. So, okay, there are three moments vying for my favorite moment in this comic book. Okay. The first one that we run into is Valkyrie, who is really, in in this issue, it really does drive home that the idea of the team of the Defenders is the only thing that she has to really hold on to that are anchoring her to this reality that she finds herself thrust in. So... She sees somebody attacking the Hulk, and she's like, fuck it, the Hulk's a defender. I got his back. Even though the Hulk was being really grown up about this thing and was just like, I'm just going to walk away and let this guy shoot me with arrows for a little bit. Why don't you leave me alone? Mm-hmm. But Val's like, no, fuck that. Dude shooting my buddy. She just starts smacking Hawkeye around. Mm-hmm. And the Hulk sees this, and it's like, this is very confusing for me, <laughs> but it's pretty funny. He is so tickled by that he rubs his belly and laughter or holds his belly. It is delightful. It's, he is so happy. He sits he's down. He's like, he's like just I will watch the humans enjoying fight. Enjoying the show. It's like puny, puny human on puny human. Fine. This is terrific. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure he is clapping and I love that. I found that so charming. It was very cute. And then Namor shows up too and Hawkeye at this point is just like oh, oh shit. Oh shit. What have I done? And decides to explain himself to three people that he's pretty sure they're all supervillains. Which, decent point on his part. The last time he fought Val, she was really the enchantress wearing a disguise. This was a moment, though, where I think when I was a little kid and I would see, like, oh, heroes fighting heroes. Like, there's, it's such a trope that they'll have a misunderstanding when they first run into each other and they'll have a fight. And it'd be like, I don't... I want to remember that at some point that was exciting to me. Just like, oh, two of my favorite heroes fighting each other. What fun. Now, it really annoys me. And I'm just like, can either one of you say a single goddamn sentence to each other before you start punching each other? Because this is stupid. What did you think about the Civil War movie? Okay, I did like that. (laughs) It was pretty good. That was pretty good. They established reasons behind that, though. That wasn't just a misunderstanding. They did say lots of words. They and there was lots the whole, of words whole, to each other. So many words. Yeah. Parents killing thing too was kind of. Yeah. Rough. I mean that 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 wasn't just like I don't really know what's happening. So punch, 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 my former friend. Oh, you're powerful too. I don't like this. Yeah. I am mm. against other people being powerful. Let's get punchy. Look, we're a pair of solo lone wolves. <laughs> there can only be two. What? There can only be one. There can only be one <laughs> set of two ones. Whatever. Let's fight. <laughs> let's fight. <laughs> Yeah. Only then can we really become a team. Of two. So low. That's not a Heroes. team. But yeah, so Valkyrie's like, I need this 
in my life. And, and of course, as always, Namor's there to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's not really a We're, team. Yeah, yeah. Hold. What does he say? Jump to no conclusions, Archer. The Defenders are merely a name and no more. It really ruffles his feathers when she says that. It, he wants to level set immediately. It always does, but come on. We're on issue seven. And from this one forward, they are coming out on a monthly basis. Sorry, Namor. You're kind of a team. We occasionally fight the same foe once a month. Yes. We <laughs> together. Yes. And at this point, we also all live together at Doctor Strange's house. He does have the best beads. Yes. It is interesting. I, I had actually somebody write in about this this issue. A listener named Bjorn wrote in and had read this, and he mentioned some things about it, which I appreciated. Although in the future, if people are going to write in about issues... Wait until we've recorded because I don't want to get into a situation where I'm afraid to talk about something because I think I might be stealing somebody else's ideas or have to worry about attributing things because I know that's going to be a problem for me. So if if you want to talk about an issue, I'd love to, but maybe wait until after it's come out already. But Bjorn mentioned something really interesting, which is at this point, Hawkeye... Namor, Val, and the Hulk are all homeless. Val is a house guest at Doctor Strange's house, and she invites them all over. And they're all like, yeah, let's go. Doctor Strange isn't even at home right then. Nope. They are bad house guests. Well, he's sort of like the checked out, like, rich dad. He's not their dad. And, uh... Although I did notice Val did acknowledge him. She is the first person other than Doctor Strange to acknowledge that he is the team leader. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I think maybe that's her rent. Also, Namor was like, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> First of all, we're not a team. Second of all, if we were a team, I would be the leader. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not that guy. But you know, second I mean, in command is the Hulk. <laughs> yeah. So she's like the kid who's like, hey, come drink my dad's liquor cabinet. I I had two minds. So they get to Doctor Strange's house. Mm-hmm. Wong and Clea are there, who do live there. Yeah, they... Who are roommates. And I guess they're cool with everybody crashing there, although Clea doesn't like Val. And probably isn't that thrilled about her inviting people over. And they're going through kind of a family crisis, because Doctor Strange is off missing. He's off fighting the Yogg-Shagoth, or whatever it was. Yeah, pretty much. One of those. Yeah, he's fighting a universe destroying evil. Mm-hmm. That's actually a really cool story. That is also written by Steve Englehart. Yeah. Who wrote the first ten pages of this story. And then after that, it was written by Len Wein. That's curious. Well, Englehart's a really busy guy, and we're going to get into part of the reason why later. So I, I remind me to get back to that. But what Wong and Clea say they are up to is, we are meditating for his safe return. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's how meditation works. Well, they're magic, though. Yeah, they're magic, but, like, they are... It's like, I'm sorry, but we're very busy having thoughts and prayers. That's some bullshit, man. Clea's a fucking magician. Mm -hmm. She could have, A, tried to help out Doctor Strange with this shit, or, B, if she can't, find out what these fucking other defenders are up to, maybe help them out. Mm -hmm. I do not like how easily dismissed... Wong and Clea are in this issue, but at the same time, anytime Wong and Clea are used as characters, they're used so badly that I'm almost relieved whenever they aren't used in an issue. Mm-hmm. Although I do like when the doorbell rings and Namor immediately is like, I'll get that for Wong. Yeah, we don't need him to do it. <laughs> yeah, but but also just like, he's busy meditating for things, which again, I, f- I feel like they just don't understand what meditation is. Like that you can pray for things. I don't think you can meditate for something. I'm going to start doing For a desired result. People are like, hey, clean the refrigerator. It's like, I'm going to go meditate. I'm going to go meditate for that refrigerator to be cleaned. Yeah, that thing is gross. Yeah, 
I'm sorry. Not I'm not my refer- fridge. I'm not referring to okay. your fridge. My fridge is kind of gross. Oh, well, meditate on that. I will. Okay. <laughs> Agreed. They're all hanging out at Doc Strange's house because Val is an awful house guest. They get a caller at the door. It's a dying Atlantean. Yep. Who is incognito. The way that he is incognito is he is wearing a giant hooded purple robe, which apparently nobody thinks twice about in the Marvel Universe because that is, I think, maybe even more so than trench coat and fedora, the go-to incognito outfit. There may be practical reasons for this. He is wearing a giant under this hood, a giant fishbowl on his head because he's an Atlantean. All of the Atlanteans in this issue have giant fishbowls on their head and they always look goofy. I understand it is a practical concern, but it looks really silly. Yeah, the main bad dude's uh, fishbowl helmet has like these kind of bone antlers on top. Yeah. They look like bunny ears to me and something. I panels. kept thinking that too. Like it's supposed to be an intimidating look. Like basically he's wearing a a defeated animal skull on his head. So it's like a red wolf thing or like like on top of his fishbowl. Yeah, but he's it's on top of the fishbowl, which makes it look so <laughs> weird and dumb. I just got to hot glue this thing on here. <laughs> yeah. I definitely want to talk uh, yeah, fuck it. Let's talk about the bad guys. So, well, let's talk about that bad guy. His name is Atuma. And he's a piece of shit. But he can build a city. He, he can build a bad city. Oh, that's actually that is a like bad, it. dumb city. And he thinks it's great. It's, yeah, it's got to be so frustrating for the other members of his group that, I mean, he continually disrespects them. He is doing a terrible job and thinks that he's doing a really great job and keeps saying that things that are stupid and awful that he's doing are terrific and wonderful. Can you imagine having a leader like that? Man, I hope we never find out what that's like. Me too. Atuma's background is kind of interesting and honestly makes me a little bit uncomfortable. He is a member of a nomadic barbarian tribe who is, they, they are bent on destroying Atlantis. And that's just always been their deal. They are... They underwater? Un- yeah, they are underwater uncivilized barbarians and they just want to fuck up Atlantis. I, I know it's Atlantean. I don't know. I, I, I feel like having that those kind of cultural values assigned to a tribe of people is unsettling to me, especially when they are referred to as a tribe. Yeah. But that being said, I think Atum is really funny and I think all of his bad guys are really funny because they're just a bunch of like big, muscly, dumb dudes who are a hort, his horde of minions, and it really cracks me up. He also has those giant, as Hulk would say, stupid shells with claws. Oh, sure. That's a new addition to his retinue of evil, though. I just mean, like, his... His group of fat guys reminds me of nothing so much as, did you ever watch Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling Connection? I may have seen a bit of that. It was a cartoon that came out in the mid-80s that the good guys were Hulk Hogan and his wrestling buddies, and the bad guys were the heel wrestlers. And the heel wrestlers always really cracked me up because they're these big, muscly dudes who are thrust into these situations where they have to act like normal bad guys would act, but they're big, dumb, muscly guys like using a death ray or, like, programming a computer. And they're terrible at it. Sure. And that's what Atuma's bad guys remind me of. It's like Nikolai Volkov and the Iron Sheik mm-hmm. and Rowdy Roddy Piper just mashing buttons on a computer. A <laughs> computer. <laughs> yeah. Like, so when they go to the beach, and there is some beautiful description of what uh, Atlantic City is like mm-hmm. on this particular day. 
Sure. I'm going to check which page that is on because I don't know if it is Len Wein or Steve Englehart who is making the description at that point. Okay, it is Steve Englehart. It is his last page that he writes for the issue. The Boardwalk in Atlantic City. Here, each September, a saccharine sweet Burt Park sings the lilting praises of an equally sugary beauty queen. But this May afternoon, the air is filled not with music, but with the enticing fragrance of fresh-baked knishes. <laughs> and the brisk sea-salt smell of the sea for which the city is named. And the merry laughter of the few young souls daring enough to assault the still chill water. Ooh. It's really nicely described. I really enjoyed that. I like the knishes. That's a nice touch. Mm -hmm. He does describe the few young frolickers who are brave enough to brave the ocean. And he ain't kidding about those two. They're, they're a young couple mm -hmm. that are frolicking in the ocean. Mm -hmm. They dive, like, they go from the beach of the Jersey Shore. Apparently there is a drop-off immediately into the Marianas Trench. And they just, as part of their frolicking, like flirting with each other they just go skin diving down like 40 feet deep with no diving equipment yep now that strikes you as weird yeah when you're on let's say if instead of foiling alien invaders from taking over your financial empire mm -hmm. you were i don't know vacationing with your girlfriend in mexico uh-huh <laughs> would you go to the beach at all sure yeah if you were to go to the beach you just go skin diving down like 40 feet as part of your flirtation. Oh, no. Yeah, no. Oh, that's scary as hell. Yeah, yeah. And also, I don't think that's the way things are off the Jersey Shore. It's a really weird... Well, she did put sand in his shorts. Okay, that's so fair. So he had to chase her to, and to probably get her back. having the sand in the shorts too made him sink down deeper than he normally would have dipped. Up. Or he was just like wiggling, and he was like, ah, yeah, sand ah, in my ah, it's, it's all on my balls. Oh, oh I hate that. Ah, gotta swim. Oh, to get oh, the sand out. Ah, and she's like, tee hee hee. He's like, now I'm not happy. Oh shit, an octopus. <laughs> now a giant. <laughs> <laughs> giant squid is dragging me underwater. Yeah. Yeah. That escalated. It escalated very quickly. And then, yeah, giant crabs and squids led by Atuma, who now has a new plan where he's going to conquer Atlantis by conquering Namor, who I think at this point is kicked out of Atlantis. I don't know. I don't know exactly what his plan is. It seems kind of weird. And also, are these the guys that are responsible for his girlfriend? not him not being able to save her yeah i yeah I'm, I'm not sure exactly the story but atuma is at least indirectly responsible for the death of namor's ex-girlfriend dorma yeah is it i don't know if it's ex-girlfriend if it's a widowed situation what was their status when I, she died i think they were about to get married so so i mean i don't think he's technically a, he's a widow no but he's like he's like one yeah in, in many ways <laughs> yeah well, one important way. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, dick move Atuma. Yeah. They attack the defenders. Well, they get defending is what they're doing. Mm -hmm. They they all do a pretty good job blowing up some giant crabs. Oh, and yeah. they're doing... Uh, Namor reluctantly punches a giant squid to save the young frolickers. The reason I brought up some of the dialogue about the young frolickers is many of the beachgoers are not so young. Oh, no. There are some weird... Background beachgoers, shirtless old fat bald men smoking cigars. This is a restricted beach. Yeah. What does that mean? Um, there are no giant crabs allowed. Oh, okay. Which, 
I mean, fair play. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't know what it means by this is a restricted beach, but the line did kind of crack me up. And I'm almost certain these are caricatures of people that they knew that maybe worked with them or something because for background characters, they have a very specific look and it is very counter to what you would normally see beach frolickers as. Like a bald fat man smoking a cigar, not wearing a shirt. Which, the fact that the cigar falls out of his mouth when he said that made me very nervous. Oh yeah, he could like, get burnt. Yeah, he's not wearing very many clothes. Mm-mm, careful. But yeah, in the next panel, there's a young girl and a white-haired, bearded old man that are running out of the thing. And then there's another, like, middle-aged bald guy. Which, I mean, yeah, those people might be at the beach, but it is very striking and distinct choices that are made in the background characters, and I'm a little bit curious about that. Mm. I gotta say, the artwork in this, I, I like a lot of it. There's a lot of it that's fairly rushed, and the cover is one of those things. There's a different inker working with Sal Buscema on this issue, and I get the impression that this issue may have been rushed slightly. Just having the two different writers on it is one sign of that. Some of the detail work just is not there. Mm-hmm. Atuma specifically, it's kind of hard to figure out what's going on with his face on a lot of those panels. I, I am a fan of Salbusem, and I think there there are definitely panels that look great in this, and then there are other ones that look as though they are rushed, or it is maybe difficulty adapting to the new inker. Yeah, I had less... Normally, it's very hard for me to sort out which panels I want to be in the top, and this one, it wasn't as hard. Well, it wasn't as hard for me, because there, there were two that just delighted the shit out of me. I bet we have a similar choice. Um, at least one of them. So, <laughs> a two-minute shitty fucking wrestle friends take most of... The, they take the Defenders hostage, and then Hulk is just like, oh, you guys are going on a boat? Now fuck that, I'm leaving. <laughs> and everybody's fine with that. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that. And then Atum and his buddies are just like, oh, uh, yeah, okay. At that point, it made me really curious as to why Val and Name and Hawkeye were just like, oh, I didn't realize that was an option. I'm also not going to get taken hostage. I well, guess maybe they want to stick around and rescue Namor, but... No, Hulk just escaped. He, like, jumped away, and they couldn't stop him. Yeah, it really does seem like it was. he reached a point where he was like, getting on the boat. Everybody's getting on the boat. I've agreed to give myself up. Oh, no, I'm leaving. Yeah, well, they agreed to because of the hostage situation. Yeah. And Hulk's just like, whatever, I'm not getting on that boat. Yeah, do what you guys want to do. So they take everybody hostage. They take them to their shitty city that Atuma built. Here's one of the things I was curious about. Why did Atuma build that city on the land? Was it on the land? I feel like it must have been. Everybody can breathe air and the Atlanteans still have to wear their helmets to not breathe air. I thought it was under the water in a bubble. In a bubble? Under the water? Why would that? That seems like even more work for no reason. Weird. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't understand what is going on with that city that they built. Was that, it on that an island? shitty, crappy city. Maybe it's on an island. Because they took a boat to get there. Well, they took a boat to get there, but you can take a boat to get lots of places. Nope, only islands. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird, crappy city that they go to that it really... Atuma describing how great it is and everybody else being like, Magnificent, is it not land dogs? Atuma designed it. Now come, great, the great one awaits you in the main hall. But yeah, one by one, the costumed captives climb from the cramped cargo hold, and they are stunned indeed, for the spectacle that greets their squinting eyes seems torn from an architect's nightmare. It's tough to tell. In the background, it looks like clouds. But maybe that is a cracked dome. If they're underwater, having filled it with air when they all breathe water seems like a really dumb thing to do. 
Yeah, it's probably on an island. Yeah, which also is a dumb thing to do since they all breathe water. But they've got some hostages. It seems like it would be easier to fit them with air rather than fit everybody else with water. Especially that would be another thing that would keep them beholden to you and would make a barrier for them trying to escape. Sounds like you're giving Atuma a run for his money. In what way? Your ideas are better. Better than Atuma's? His <laughs> <laughs> ideas are the best. I love how Atuma refers to himself in the third person. I love how he calls his minions fools constantly, even when they're not, not doing anything wrong. <laughs> like, his first words to them are, follow me, fools! <laughs> When they're just underwater about to attack some beachgoers. It's his leadership style. Yeah, tough to argue with. Mm -hmm. Did we skip over the way that he incapacitated Namor? I believe we did, actually. I can't believe we did that. That's yeah. crazy. Mm. So Atuma has used... I, I guess he's perfected a special porpoise-related form of martial arts. Well, with the help of... With the help of a fellow that we meet in the city called the Red Ghost. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Atuma can now mind control both dolphins and crabs, which is why the crabs were uh, following his commands, which was very surprising to Namor. Not as surprising as it was for him to get... <laughs> two dolphins porpoises. simultaneously giving him uh, I think they were dolphins they were porpoises dolphins are porpoises it's, I was wondering that. Is that dolphins are a type of porpoise it's like a square rectangle thing Okay. but two dolphins two crazy nosedives that give him simultaneous nerve pinches in a way that, in a way that incapacitates him mm -hmm. now when I first saw the panel I assumed they were hitting him in the eyeballs oh ouch like it's really tough to tell. As I've said, I like the way Sal Buscema draws, but he does have a quirk where any impact that he draws creates a impact point that obscures everything except for limbs. Mm -hmm. Like, so it just looks like everything is exploding except for the limbs. Makes for some good dick punches. It makes for some great dick punches, but it makes it confusing whether or not two dolphins are poking Namor in the eyeballs simultaneously or giving him weird, I guess, nipple nerve pinches, yeah, maybe? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It so was it's like, in the chest. Like, they're just giving him, like, two super-powered dolphin purple nurples. Yeah, incapacitating his nerves. I think that would do the trick, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because they have hard, beaky snouts. They Yes, that's true. You really cut to the science of the matter, Corey. Well, yep. What I do. Now, how is Atuma able to do Aqualad-style mind control over sea life? That was never something he was able to do. He's just strong and tough. Mm-hmm. No, he had help. Help from the Red Ghost. Yeah, who has learned from his past mistakes, which I'm also curious about what those are. I don't know <laughs> if you've got background on that. Oh, Corey. I was so fucking delighted to see the Red Ghost because the Red Ghost is one of the goofiest of Marvel's Silver Age bad guys. He's got a ridiculous looking outfit. And he does have a ridiculous looking outfit. We can talk about that outfit later and I suspect that we will. Okay. In the sartorially speaking section. Indeed. But the Red Ghost, his name is Ivan Kragoff. He is a Russian scientist mm. who oh, was that's very interested red. in... Yes, that is why he is red. Okay. Now, as to why he is a ghost, he was big into the space race. He wanted to make sure that the Soviet Union 
would be the first to arrive on the moon. So he trained a team of apes. Oh, okay. He had a he had three apes that were named Piotr, Miklo, and Igor, who were respectively a gorilla, an orangutan, and a baboon. <laughs> He brought them into space with him as his team to go to the moon. Now, he went with them. So it's not like he was training monkeys to act as surrogates for human beings or as tests to see if human beings could do this. He just thought they would make a good team. So they all went to the moon together. Unfortunately, the Fantastic Four beat them there. Oh, shit. So the Fantastic Four were the first people on the moon. Uh, the Fantastic Four had previously gone to a space flight. That's how they, the cosmic radiation is how they got their powers. Mm-hmm. Ivan decided like, oh, they got superpowers by cosmic radiation. I will purposefully make shitty radi- radiation shielding on our rocket ship to the moon. So we'll get some of that good, good juice. Oh, jeez. And it worked. So he created, when they landed on the moon, he created a team of super apes. No shit. Who all had magic powers, and he got, ma- I'm sorry, superpowers, uh-huh. science powers. Right. Super science powers. Sure. Um, and he got super science powers, and his super science power was that he could turn invisible and intangible, which is why he is the Red Ghost. Okay. Now, and then, <laughs> the apes all fought the f- and him, so he's his own, fan. like, he's got his own Fantastic Four, three of whom are apes, Mm -hmm. and they decide to fight Fantastic Four regular style, Mm -hmm. uh, and they win, Oh! but then uh, his apes were like, this guy's an asshole, and they turned on him, Oh! which he's like, ah, shit, fuck that. So he goes back to Earth, has some other adventures, then he makes a deal with a Iron Man bad guy named Unicorn, I think. I'm not going to get into Unicorn right now. He's a weird bad guy. Okay. But he ends up using this device which changed his superpowers so that now he can no longer turn invisible, but he can turn into a mist and he can also telepathically control apes. Whoa. So he gets new... Before he couldn't telepathically control the apes, the apes just thought he was a good leader up to a certain point. I see. Okay. Um, Now he can telepathically control apes, so he gets some new apes that he just calls Alpha and Beta. Mm. Lame. Mm. Name those apes. Red Ghost, name those apes. Yeah. But he didn't. Okay. And so then those apes were like, you know what? I know you're mind controlling us, but you're still an asshole. And they turn on him. Oh, so much bad ape luck. He's terrible with apes, but that's his ace in the hole. Mm. It's, it's it's all he knows. And so that's why when he, he's here, it's just like, I've learned from my past mistakes. No more apes. The problem was they were hard to mind control because they weren't smart enough. Now I'm going to mind control dolphins because dolphins are smarter. Almost as smart as a man. I don't know where to begin with this. I Seems like it'd be easier to mind control something. That's dumber if we are to buy into the premise that dolphins are smarter than gorillas, which I don't know that that's been established. But that's his premise. But yeah, now he's teamed up with Atuma, who I gotta say, I don't think is smarter than a dolphin or an ape. Nope. And now he can mind control dolphins and I guess crabs too. He somehow tweaked his powers, so just generalized mind control over non-humans. Sea creatures. Yeah, so that's the Red Ghost story. I was wondering about what his mistakes were. Yeah, his mistakes were trusting apes. Or being a jerk to apes. Being a jerk to apes, probably the bigger mistake. 
Yeah. His mind control abilities are spectacular, though. There's a scene They're in which so precise. He, he uses, well, not only the yeah the double purple nurple thing, but the scene in which there's like a army of porpoises raining down on <laughs> Atlantis. Like heavy artillery That's fire. how they're going to destroy the city is a rain of dolphins. Yep. Oh, man. It's raining dolphins. Hallelujah. <laughs> huh? Oh, nothing. So that's the red ghost. And his hair is goofy. His hair is super goofy. He's got that bald, but then the white, like, bozo, the clown. Oh, yeah. Tendrils extending to the side. Very bozo-y. Speaking of unkempt hair, I guess that his sea control of sea creatures has been perfected to the point where through experiments, at the end... He controls Namor the Submariner, mm-hmm. which is terrible. And Namor looks super crazed, but also his hair is, for the first time, maybe ever, slightly unkempt. What? Dun, dun, dun. Oh, my God. That's how you know he's in trouble. Oh, yeah. I didn't notice that. How could you not notice it? It, it struck me as, like, immediately, like, it's like, wait a minute. Several hairs on Namor's head are out of place. Yeah, that's, that's not Namor. Gel wore off. Oh, man. And that is some deep hold gel mm-hmm. that is capable of working underwater. Yep. Man. There is also, man, we, we skipped so much. When Val and Hawkeye are taken captive, there's a scene where one of the hench people whose name is Big Grok. Grocko. Big Grocko. Yeah. Tries to force his intentions uh, or force his affection on Val which she is having none of, and she socks him and knocks him out. But it, it, yeah, it's... Gross. It's super gross. It's super gross. It also did remind me of the scene in the original Drunken Master where Jackie Chan dresses up like a lady and one of the henchmen goes, You're pretty, give me a kiss! (laughs) It is that level of sophistication in which Big Grocko tries to seduce Val. Yeah. You know, seduced by withholding food. Yeah. So, yeah, it is very satisfying watching him get knocked the fuck out. Mm-hmm. And as she says it, she says, filthy sexist pig! And punches him in a way that causes his, as I said, Sal Buscema has a very distinctive style of people getting punched. But this one particularly, you can see his face getting punched, but not any of his head. So it really does look like just like she punches him into being disembodied. Mm-hmm. We never do see his head after that. We just see the rest of his body. So I think they are able to actually disintegrate his head by punching him, which is certainly what it looks like in that panel. Mm. And good punch. Good. Yeah. Glad. Croco had it coming. And then Hawkeye continues to prove what a fucking idiot he is by they're about to they're escaping. He's like, well, the good news is we don't have to be empty handed. Val's not empty handed. I don't think they even took away her sword when they took her captive. I'm gonna take a look. That seems like they should. That have seems done like that. they should have. Maybe they did. Because they took his bow and arrows away. Yeah, they took his bow and arrows away. It was very resourceful to make them out of. Yeah, furniture. that's what I want to get at. Okay, yeah, no, he says we don't have to be empty-handed. They did take her sword away. Of, of course they did. They're not that stupid. They are that stupid, but they did take her sword away, and they took his bow and arrows away. And he, within minutes, makes a bow out of a broken bed slat and makes banister post arrows fletched with pillow feathers. Mm-hmm. Those are just garbage. Those are not going to work. Not if he made that within minutes. Mm-hmm. That is some bullshit. 
And you would be so much better off. He's also a trained martial artist. He, Val, he, he doesn't even try to, he's like, now we won't be empty handed. Val's not empty handed anyway. She just punched out like a 300 pound dude and then tossed him aside. Mm-hmm. This is solely for Hawkeye's benefit. And I think it's just like, almost like a totem that he wants to carry with him that makes him feel safe. Those are not going to work as weapons. Those are, if anything, his blankie. Sure. I'm mad at Hawkeye for taking the time to stop and do that. And I'm just mad at him in general for being such a piece of shit, this whole issue. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm not going to defend him. (laughs) Yeah, just to make sure that I don't forget to mention it later. Mm. The reason why I think Steve Englehart had taken off after the first 10 pages of this issue Ah, is the next thing that is happening in these comics is a crossover event called the Avengers Defenders War. Mm. in which half of the issues take place in the Avengers, half of them take place in the Defenders. And I think Steve Englehart took over writing the Avengers as well at this point, Oh, which is why he's a little bit pressed for time. Now, I'm not sure how we should cover these. I have the Avengers issues, but I don't know if, especially this early on in the run, we want to have devote a whole week to covering a non-Defenders issue that advances the storyline, even though it will have the Defenders in it as well. I think we kind of have to. Though. I think we might need to do that. Okay. Yeah. That Then that is my plan going forward. Here's what, what I'm not sure about. The story starts in the Avengers number 15. I think that it only starts in the last couple of pages of that. So I'm going to review and find out how integral the first Avengers storyline is, or the first Avengers issue that covers the Avengers Defenders War is to the storyline. And if it's not very much, then I'll just recap them real quickly, and then we'll go back to Defenders number 8. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we'll hit Avengers 115. But... Yeah, so we will, we'll just take a week to cover each issue, and that will be fine. Tough but fair. Yeah, they'll still have the Defenders in them, they'll still be written by Steve Englehart. Okay. Okay, yeah, I mean, we only have 135 Defenders issues to cover. That's all. Yeah, no reason not to throw a few more in there. Okay, you ready to get into the minutiae, or was there anything else you wanted to bring up? No, I think, I, I think that pretty much covers it. Okay. Well then, Rick, you want to sing us in? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thank you, Rick. All right, what do you want to hit first? Oh, boy. Maybe where those perfidious porpoises show up in... Favorite panel? Panels. Okay. Yeah, I think we have the same favorite panel. (laughs) I call mine Double Dolphin Nerf Punch. That's pretty good. What did you call yours? Oh, just porpoise punches. Yeah, man. Yeah, I don't know how much more there is to say about it. It's an awesome panel in which, out of nowhere, he had previously been fighting a giant squid and doing really well. Punching and then over and over. So angry. Yeah. If you were to study the raging fury etched upon the Submariner's face, you might well believe that Namor speaks the truth in that nothing can stop him. But if you believed so, you would be wrong. Dead wrong. And then out of nowhere, two porpoises simultaneously thwock and thud Namor. And it made me laugh so much. So damn silly. It's terrific. Uh, did you have a backup panel? Uh, I did have one backup panel. Okay, I have one too. What What is yours? Mine is on page 15, and it's, uh, I called it Namor Victorious, and that's why he's doing a really dynamic uh, punch. And there's a bunch of other action going on. Oh, yeah, that is a good one. Yeah, you've got Val and Hawkeye riding Aragorn in the background, and 
Yeah, a dude is surprisingly exclaiming, What? The Submariner shattered the claw with one punch. Mm -hmm. Pretty great. The only one that vies for me for a favorite panel is the one previous to it, but I think it's more because of the words in it, which is, let's segue into best words in the issue. Okay. I've read some of them aloud before, but this is by far my favorite. And it makes the whole panel for me. A beachgoer is being crushed with by a... Oh, we have the same a one. giant crab claw. <laughs> he is saying, help, put me down. This monster is crushing me. And one of Atuma's thugs is saying, cowardly surface scum, be silent and die like a man. Yeah. <laughs> There's something about yelling at a dude for not dying quietly while a giant crab crushes him. Very, very not masculine. It made me laugh so much. Yep. Uh, I loved that. I guess the only other panel or words that, that brought me a similar amount of joy would be Hulk sitting down and laughing and watching Valen Hawkeye fight. I also really liked Namor's follow-up to that be silent and die like a man bit. Where he says, Nay, barbarian, if any is to die today, twill be you and your unnatural crustaceans. I liked that a lot, too. Yeah, just, twill be you and your unnatural crustaceans. Yeah, zing. Oh, boy. I feel like those are natural crustaceans, though. I, I feel like those are just some big crabs that... I don't think there was any genetic engineering going on. I think that was just They're the not. marine biologist that they kidnapped helping... The Red Ghost mind control the crabs. I don't know. I think those crabs are mostly Pollock and Red Dye. Oh, dear. You think they're... So you're suspecting that that's imitation crab meat? Crab with a K, my friend. Oh, my gosh. Cerebi? Is that what that's called? Yeah. Boy. Well, they're nefarious meat. <laughs> A natural crustacean? I'm going to say that every time I see that stuff in the grocery store now. <laughs> I got to tell you, Corey. Hmm. I'm kind of fond of that unnatural crustacean. I know, it's good. I'm going to call it that every time now, though. Yep. You're absolutely right. Make a sandwich? Yeah, from that make a, a California roll. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe later we can go get some unnatural crustacean. That sounds good. Yeah. Yep. All right, it's a deal. All right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I had that written down as well. Man, we, we are... Just a pack of lone wolves on this. Yep. What was your favorite sound effect? Oh, there were so many. I think because maybe I haven't seen this one before, on page 15, there is a splacked. Ooh, splacked. Is that just a punch noise? Yeah. I also had a punch noise that was chud. Oh, yeah, there was a good chud. I don't mean to sound prejudiced, Corey, but I don't believe there's any such thing as a good chud. Oh. Cannibalistic, cannibalistic humanoid under Cannibal holistic? They're not holistic. <laughs> cannibalistic. Yeah, I know. I, I am the one who fucked that. They're cannibals, but they're holistic cannibals. Yeah. Yeah, cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers. Yeah, those. They're no good. Nope. No, I saw the movie. Speaking of chuds, mm. there was actually something that I wanted to talk about that reminded me of a different horror movie, which we have also referenced on this podcast. There was something in this issue that reminded me of, I believe it was Critters 3. Is that the one with the space bounty hunters? They always come from space. Well, I know the critters do, but the critter hunters who are shapeshifters? Oh, Jesus, I can't remember that. 
I, I can't remember if it's Critters 3 or 4, but there's a point in this issue where Val, as Hawkeye is punching out to his, says like, oh, you're having fun with your playmates. And he says, playmates? Nah, man, I can't imagine any one of these guys with a staple in their navel. Like, uh, like Playboy playmates. Like a centerfold. I was trying to figure out what that meant. I might have had trouble figuring out what that meant if it were not me remembering seeing, I think it was Critters 3, might have been Critters 4, but there is a bounty hunter who comes to Earth and they use a, like, they figure out what they're going to look like based on pictures, and one of them looks like a centerfold and has a actual giant staple in their navel because of that. <laughs> I was like, that's a pretty good joke. And also, it's like, Hawkeye, that's actually a pretty good joke. Also, Hawkeye, you are on brand as a creep. Yeah, <laughs> good job. Oh, that's, um, thank you for explaining that. I had forgotten. No problem. That's so a good segue, I think. Into? Best and worst. Yes. Three pages in, I was like, well, I guess, I guess worst offender is wrapped up. Yeah. Hawkeye. Yeah. Not even close. Yeah, I, I had runners up. Who was your runner-up? So, it, it's a two-part runner-up one. And, and both of them, I think, you know, Hawkeye is clearly the worst. Yeah, yeah. But Hulk, well, he's true to character, but, but it is kind of lame that, like, Namor's, like, being threatened with death, and he's like, eh, whatever. I don't like boats. Yeah, boats, <laughs> boats are worse. Fishman's gonna be fine. And he takes yeah. Off. Like, that's kind of lame, but understandable. But understandable, and also he's the Hulk. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is, is Namor for getting, like, nipple punched out oh. by, by a couple dolphins. Yeah, I get ya. I understand that. But overall, Namor does a pretty good job, even if Hawkeye was not running away with this fucking contest mm -hmm. from the get-go. I could never give it to Hulk in an issue in which he sits down and laughs and watch Val fight. Yeah, <laughs> Basically funny. pulls out a lawn chair and watches Hawkeye and Val fight. And later... His motivation for joining them going to the beach, I loved because he's just like, I don't really give a shit and I don't know what's happening, but if that stupid dude with pointy sticks gets to go, I'm going. Mm -hmm. yep. It's like, that is a nice The Hulk moment. Yeah. Conversely, best defender? This one also for me was was pretty cut and dried and it was uh, Val. Yep. He just kicks the most ass through the whole issue. Yep. She does down. a great job. Kicks a ton of butt. Yep. Way to go, Val. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's the glue that is holding this non-team together and trying to form it into the semblance of a team. If we had to pick a team leader, I would go with Val. Yep. Yeah, a complete agreement. That leaves us with sartorially speaking. <laughs> you want to get back to that red ghost? Yeah, let's get back to... How would you describe his outfit? Goofy. Goofy, yes. In a little more detail than Goofy. Uh, it's too laconic. Um, yeah, if someone... <laughs> dude, how do you even... Like a like a so silken pirate shirt, but that doesn't connect in the middle, that's tucked into yeah, a it's not even tight a blue... Like deep. a blouse yeah. with a big dangly pentagram necklace. And yeah, and a studded... Like, I don't know how to describe his cummerbund other than novelty condom. Like, it's just got it's, big yeah. studded rubber dots on the outside. Yeah, it's like um, like a piece of rubberized, like, fetish wear with, like, yeah. fake studs, but it's all made out of red rubber. And then yeah. gloves, like dish gloves. Yeah, rubber dish gloves. Mm -hmm. Red yeah. tights. Under, underpants that have a... Yeah, it's not even like it's a deep V, because it doesn't make any attempt to connect. Mm -hmm. it, it's... He's worked out a lot, and he's super 
proud of those abs. Well, only he doesn't, he, he doesn't hasn't, because it's also very high-waisted. So it covers up his abs. It's... Well, there's no navel showing? Just the navel is showing oh, at the okay. very top. So maybe he could get, like, the top ab. Two. Also, it's the early 70s. Nobody had abs. I mean, except Namor. Yeah, that's why. That's why he's so great. <laughs> yeah, it is a crazy bad look, and I love it. And the medallion really ties the whole outfit together. Yeah, Red Ghost. Man. All the way. Other than that, really, just everybody looks stupid when they're wearing fishbowls. Um, mm-hmm. Especially if you're trying to go incognito. Like, it goes from... The hood goes from totally covering the fishbowl and you can't see what's under it to then it gets pushed back half an inch and you're like, oh, that is an entire fishbowl. Mm-hmm. It's very strange. Uh, but yeah, sartorially speaking, that's that was the main things that I wanted to cover with that. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about fashion-wise? No, I... Red Ghost. Atuma's hat. Yep, yeah, I think Atuma's we touched on that. bunny rabbit hat, but we already really talked about that. Bunny bowl hat. Man. <sighs> what a great issue. Indeed. I loved that. Mm -hmm. I think next time we cover the Defenders, I talked with you a little bit about this, but I'd like to introduce a new minutia segment, which I am going to call I Just Gotta Be a Sucker. That is a reference to the movie Crush Groove, Mm. which, oh my God, you guys, if you haven't seen Crush Groove, go see Crush Groove. It is a lightly fictionalized depiction of the founding of Def Jam Records, in which everybody plays themselves except Russell Simmons is played by Blair Underwood. Who um, does a good job. Who does a good job. The Fat Boys are close to main characters in it. They're like they're definitely the B story mm-hmm. of the movie is the Fat Boys wanting to get a record contract. The entire movie, they want to go play at the Disco Fever, which is this club that they've been trying to get into. They can't because they're still in high school. Then... They figure out a way to get into the Disco Fever, and one of the fat boys, I forget who, probably Human Beatbox, says, I don't want to do that anymore. And they're like, wait, what? That's all we've been trying to do. Why don't you want to do this anymore? And he goes, I don't know, I just got to be a sucker. Mm -hmm. It cracks me up every time I see that line. But I want to have a segment in which a character acts against their own characterization They act out of character and against their motivation in a way that does nothing except further the plot. But that never happens. I think it might. (laughs) It happens so many times in this issue, especially with the Hulk, that I was like, this needs to be a segment. So, yeah, going forward, we will have a I just gotta be a sucker moment all right in every issue i think that's it yep all right thank you so much for listening this was a fucking blast and thanks to everyone who entered the contest i will be in touch with the winner but you know what you're all winners and we're all winners oh yeah but in a more specific sense one of you was a winner and i will be in touch with you (laughs) if you would like to get in contact with us if you have any questions for me or you just want to talk about anything that you heard in the episode uh you can reach me at ttwasteland at gmail.com that's is that how that works Mm -hmm. okay um you can also find us on facebook itunes twitter at ttwasteland underscore Uh, if you can leave us a review on itunes that would be much appreciated we've gotten a couple new ones in the last week or so and it's a nice way for me to kind of keep track of how popular we're getting which is really nice And thank you for everyone who has done that. If you haven't yet, now would be a great time. There is a Patreon page set up. If you would like to donate, I would certainly encourage you to do that. The address of that is (laughs) patreon.com backslash TT Wasteland. Thank you so much for joining us. We will be back next week with the new Teen Titans number 10, in which 
Deathstroke the Terminator's back. Oh, shit. That's going to be a time. Mm. And we will be back in two weeks with either the Avengers 115 or more probably the Defenders number eight. Either way, we will be kicking off the Avengers Defenders War. Thank you so much for joining us. Once again, uh, be sure to check out if, if, if you'd like to hear more of me talking, if this lasts whatever 10 hours or so <laughs> isn't enough for you, then uh, you can hear more of me this week on Alphabet Flight, uh, hosted by Jesse Cooper. It was a lot of fun to record, and hopefully we'll see you there. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Touch me not, fools. I'm going to go get some unnatural crustaceans. <laughs> ah, let's see.